my promise to my readers is I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be fair. And when we're explaining the issue at the top, like I will be as neutral and balanced in that section as I can. I want to go where the moon shines bright. Welcome everyone to the It Matters to Me podcast, a show that seeks out the passions in all of our lives and the motivations behind why we pursue them. Joining me on this episode is Isaac Saul, the voice and curator of Tangle News Media. Isaac is a politics reporter who grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, one of the most politically divided places in the United States. And in 2020, he created Tangle News in an attempt to get people out of their information bubbles and only hearing stories that reaffirm their existing beliefs. His dream has been to create the most trusted brand in political news, all inside a newsletter you can read in just 10 minutes a day in a daily podcast that synthesizes major news events into a format free of political punditry. What really drew me to interviewing him, though, was recognizing just how much work Isaac has put into making Tangle what it is today. And even though I wouldn't necessarily call myself a news junkie, I do like to have at least a high-level understanding of what's happening around the world, and I've really enjoyed listening to Tangle every day to get that information. Everything from how he takes a single news story and turns it into a newsletter and podcast to how he manages the stress of being on a daily deadline. Our conversation is a peek behind the curtain into how Tangle is fast becoming people's go-to news source. All right, let's get to it. Here's my talk with Isaac Saul. Isaac, welcome to this show. It's an honor to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad to be here. Now you are quite the media conglomerate, if I must say. You run, uh, you write a newsletter that's growing in popularity. If anything, um, I've heard quite a few people talk about it in my circle, and I've recently discovered your podcast. And so uh, we'll definitely get into a lot of those things. But one way I like to start the show uh, is with this generic question, but in a fun kind of upbeat way that I think gives the listener a little bit of a better insight into who the guest is. And that question is. If I knew you growing up, what kinds of stories would I tell about young Isaac? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I think you would probably tell stories of somebody who was uh, a bit of a troublemaker. I have two older brothers. Uh, we were pretty mischievous growing up. We were uh, always finding new ways to infuriate my mom. All athletes just like boys, you know, to the T, like stereotypical boys. We were rough and stupid and uh, arrogant and made, I think, a lot of dumb mistakes, but also learned a lot as kids and had two parents who, uh, you know, were open-minded, but had their boundaries to them, you know, laid the law down when they had to. So, um, God, yeah, that's a good question. I think most of the stories would probably be about me doing something that was a little bit stupid, but maybe like brilliant also. A uh, good example is like I was 15 years old and I bought a Winnebago Lachero as my first car. So, uh, you know, I used to pick up 10 friends on my way to school and hang out in that thing and party when I was a senior in high school. And uh, that was how I spent my bar mitzvah money. And it was like, you know, I don't know if that was the best way to do it, but I have some really good memories from it now. And people remember me for having my first car that was an RV. Yeah, I, I, I must say, I, I take pride in my first car being a Jeep Cherokee with wood panels on the side, but I think That's an RV, nice. an RV would have been, would have been next level. Um, well, speaking of brilliance, and I do think this kind of uh, loosely ties into uh, who you are today, but uh, you're the founder of Tangle. Now, should I say news media or news corporation? Yeah, people call it Tangle. They call it Tangle News. Our, I think we're incorporated as Tangle Media LLC, so all of them work. Okay. Well, again, speaking of brilliant, um, I find Tangle News absolutely brilliant. I've only recently discovered uh, your work, but I definitely and I, I devour it every day that it comes out. But I would love to hear you kind of describe what it is that Tangle News represents. 
Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I'm a political journalist. That's my background. I went to school for nonfiction writing, journalism track, and got my career as a sports reporter in college. That was kind of how I started. And when I graduated, I transitioned to politics. And I realized pretty quickly that the media ecosystem was broken, that most Americans are getting news that kind of just reaffirms their prior beliefs. We all are sort of living in our own little media bubbles and echo chambers, which I think is something we're more aware of now than we've ever been. A lot of your listeners have probably heard those terms, which, you know, wasn't true 10 years ago. Um, And I used to, because of my own kind of political incongruence being sort of all over the place on a lot of different issues, I used to feel like I had to read 10 different news articles about the same topic to just understand what the hell was going on. So, you know, uh, Trump gets indicted, like we're recording this on March 31st. The news broke last night. In a normal world, like I would have to go read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, watch Fox News, watch CNN, get all the different voices, all the different takes on what was going on out there, and then be like, okay, maybe now I have some sort of semblance of what a you know what the truth is what a fair balance take is a full collection of the information and i just kind of was thinking i wish there was a place that put all that stuff in one spot where i could read it all side by side and that was kind of the original genesis written down in a notebook idea for tangle and so i came up with a format that is basically explaining what the news of the day is, what the big political debate of the day is in the most neutral language I can, which is actually the hardest part of the newsletter is the sort of introduction, six or seven paragraphs, just breaking down what's the issue, what are we going to talk about today? And then I collect the three most compelling, interesting opinions I can find from the right and three from the left. And I just put them in succession in order with each other. And then I share my take at the end of the newsletter. So I kind of give myself a little bit of space to just give my own personal opinion and write like a mini op-ed. So if you read our newsletter, you know, front to back, you'll get three opinions from the left, three opinions from the right, and then my personal view on whatever the big debate is. And all of it sort of packaged with a really neutral explanation, basically breakdown of what you need to know about the story. And people really love it. I mean, my my fundamental idea was basically just getting all those opinions in one place and then also getting people out of that bubble, that echo chamber that we're all living in so they could experience and encounter some views that might exist outside their immediate social circle or family or that might challenge their own prior beliefs And uh, I was not sure whether there'd be an interest in it because we all obviously really like our silos and we like feeling smart and we like feeling like we're right. People typically don't like changing their minds or being challenged. And uh, I've been pleasantly surprised that there seems to be a really high demand for this kind of news, which has been really exciting for me. And if I'm correct, it's, it started out as a basic newsletter that you circulated among friends. Um, and then it kind of grew from there. Is that correct? Yeah. So I was working a full-time job as a politics reporter and editor, and the company I was working for was changing. And it was changing in a way that I didn't really want to be a part of. They were sort of doing like the pivot to video and moving away from written and reported content. So I had this idea for the newsletter for a long time. And I basically started a Substack newsletter mailing list and just sent a version of the newsletter to like a hundred friends and colleagues and just had a note that was like, Hey, let me know what you think about this. I'm kicking around this idea. And initially there was no section. I mean, there were a lot of sections. We have a lot of sections now that didn't exist then, but one of the big ones that was missing was the, my take part. Uh, The first few newsletters I sent out were just like, the story, what the left is saying, what the right is saying. And a lot of people responded and said like, dude, I love this. I would totally read this if you were doing this every day. But what do you think? Like, I'm, you're a politics reporter. You know, I'm actually curious what your opinion. And I got a bunch of people responding with that. So I was like, oh, all right, maybe I'll just add this little section, which ended up being really useful because it was a way for me to kind of show my cards with readers and just say like, 
look, I'm a person. I have opinions. I have my own beliefs. Like here are my views out in the open. You can take them or leave them. And uh, I think that that builds a lot of trust in my readership. I think if I weren't doing that, people would be a lot more suspicious about, you know, what my motives were and what I was trying to do. And I think the fact that I get to share my take in the newsletter is sort of like an act of transparency of just like, you know, that I'm coming from this position, but I'm going to share a lot of opinions in the newsletter that I don't agree with every day. Cause that's like, you know, it's the whole point basically. Yeah. And on top of that, you, what I also enjoy the, uh, in each episode, you, you take, uh, like listener questions and, I think one just maybe yesterday, the day before was a simple one about uh, why you supposedly didn't cover Joe Biden's gaffe before the Nashville shooting was announced. Your listener asked, like, why weren't you covering that? And I, I do appreciate the fact that you kind of retroactively go back to things and reexamine them based on new evidence or based on like new, new news for the most part. And I think it, you, just like you said, it does give a little bit of authenticity alongside your, your added, my take uh, section so that, you know, you're not just presenting yourself as some, as some robot who's only delivering facts. You're just synthesizing it and you're putting it out there, but you're still encouraging people to make their own decisions based on what you're reporting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a really human element to the newsletter that kind of happened organically that people connect to, uh, you know, I'm not the only place that does this. There's like different kinds of versions that sort of have, you know, that I would call competitors that sort of have like a a space where you can see left and right opinions in one spot. They're not particularly common, but I think what attracts a lot of readers to us is that there is this person behind it, which, you know, they, it gives them somebody to challenge when they feel like I'm wrong about something. It's like, it adds a little personality to the newsletter, which I think makes it more interesting. But yeah, we, we've done a lot of things. I mean, answering reader questions is a big one that gives the readers a space to sort of like push back on things I've written or just, you know, direct what the content is going to be in the newsletter. So we answer a reader question every day in the newsletter and the podcast. And then you know, we also have a policy of putting corrections at the top of the newsletter, featuring them very prominently and at the top of the podcast. And we keep a correction count running. So anytime I have a correction, I'll tell you, you know, this is the 110th correction in our 950 newsletters. And it's the first correction we've had since, you know, March 1st or something like that. And oftentimes we'll try and explain how mistakes happen in the newsletter, which I think people also really like. And we try and share reader feedback. So if somebody writes in and they have like a really biting criticism about my argument or another argument that appeared in the newsletter, or they say, hey, actually, I'm, you know, a staffer working on this piece of legislation. Here's my perspective on it. We'll share that in the newsletter with readers, which, uh, you know, people also really like that because it gives, it makes it so it's like the community's participating in the, the creation of the newsletter a little bit. I love that, like a crowdsourced newsletter. Um, Walk me through what your day-to-day might be like. You know, you gave the example of Trump being indicted last night. Like, what is your process from start to finish from where you hear a piece of news and then you go and like that being the start and then the final result being a published newsletter and published podcast? Yeah, so uh, with a story like the Trump indictment, Uh, those are actually a little bit easier for me to cover because I've covered it a few times before. So I have a bunch of background, like institutional knowledge already. Some of the hardest newsletters are when there's a story popping up that's totally new to me, like when uh, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. I had to learn a lot about how the bank worked and, you know, what the regulators were doing and what was specific to California and how the tech industry impacted and what the federal government oversight was supposed to be like. I mean, there was all this stuff that was, it was like a totally new issue for me that required days of research. Um, But a typical story is usually more like the Trump indictment, which is like, there are pieces of it that I already understand, already know, because I cover politics for a living. So for a story like that, you know, the New York Times broke the Trump indictment story on Thursday night. So I'll read their piece, you know, it goes straight to the source that actually broke the story, which is something I don't think readers do enough. That story that the New York Times 
publish has now been repurposed and recycled on a million different news outlets. You can read it all throughout the media ecosystem, but there were three reporters at the New York Times who actually broke that story. So, you know, read their piece first, see what the original language is, see what they actually know in that initial piece. Since it was broken in the New York Times, the first thing I'll do is go read a version of that story in the Wall Street Journal or Fox News, like a more right of center news outlet to make sure that I'm not biasing myself. Like if I read the New York Times and then the Washington Post and then CNN and then MSNBC, it's like I I will remember all the facts and framing of those first few networks because that'll be my first impression of the story. And I know that if I do that, it like will bias me in a way that is really hard for me to break out of. So I'll be really intentional about making sure that the second or third place I go and read about the story is from some kind of right of center conservative voice. Uh, and I'll, I'll try and read those straight news stories first. And then, um, then it's scouring the opinion section. So, you know, I have a Google document of probably like multiple hundreds of news outlets that are out there with, you know, notes about what, what their political bias tends to be. So, you know, the National Review's editorial board is like right of center. So I know if I'm looking for a conservative opinion about a big topic, maybe I'll go read National Review and see what, you know, their their opinion makers are saying. Um, I really prefer written opinion pieces, but in today's day and age, obviously, you know, you have the, the primetime news anchors, you know, the Rachel Maddow, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, the CNN lineup. So I try and tune in and watch those or read transcripts of their shows. All those news outlets publish transcripts of the primetime shows after they're up. So I'll go read them like the morning after and just see what Tucker's saying about the, like the big issue people are debating or something like that. Um, And then there's the podcasters and the YouTubers, which are both valuable because I think their audiences are really big and they, their arguments tend to be easy to suss out in terms of what the partisan leanings are. But it's a little bit more difficult because listening to somebody just takes a lot more time than reading. I can read a lot faster than I can listen to somebody talk through something. So it's a little more time consuming. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely reading more opinion pieces than I am consuming podcasts and YouTube uh, personalities. And that'll be like the first four or five hours on a story will be just like taking in as much as I possibly can. And anytime I come across something that's either like, okay, this point has been made in like six different articles. So clearly this is the talking point on the right about this issue. I'm pulling that out and putting it in the newsletter and like, make sure I'm going to represent this. Um, And then, you know, I, I try and pick stuff that's kind of a mix of like, what's really representative of the opinion on the right or the left. So what's like, What's the, that thing I'm seeing that's coming up over and over again? What two or three points are they hammering? Make sure we have some pieces that are sort of representing that. And then I usually try to include at least one piece from both the right and the left that's like a little bit bucking whatever the party line is, or maybe offering some kind of like alternative perspective, because it's important for me that, you know, to make it clear that even amongst the right and the left, there isn't just like monolithic agreement. That's not how it works in today's politics. So like a good example is we covered the parental rights bill that Congress passed uh, on, you know, last week, but we covered it, I think on Wednesday or Thursday. And there were five Republicans in the house who voted against this bill, including one Republican who co-sponsored the initial bill and then voted against it after it was amended. So I included an opinion piece from, you know, one of the conservative representatives who wrote about why he opposed the legislation, because even though most conservatives probably support it, I think it's important to include like the the, the kind of sect that was pushing back against it. Um, the vast majority of my work is research. And then oftentimes I'll run into some stuff that's just I don't understand. You know, there are blanks that need to be filled in. And that's when I kind of tap the resources that I have, you know, the sources I've developed over years of reporting. So I'll send a few emails or text some people I know who are like experts in a space or maybe 
write an email to a staffer who's on like a congressman's team and say like, Hey, am I understanding like this is the position you guys, cause I don't want to publish this and be wrong about what your position is. And it's, it's, I mean, that's journalism. Like it's a little bit of like my old school reporting skills, but I'm coming much more in like a friendly, like, Hey, we're publishing this thing. I want to make sure I have, like, I'm clear on what the, the opinion is here. So, you know, a, a good example of that is like, I have a friend who runs a magazine that's all about oil in Iraq. So when the energy crisis was happening because of the Russia Ukraine war, it's like, Oh, I know somebody who's like an expert on the oil situation in the Middle East and how that impacts Russia and Ukraine, whatever. And Russia is obviously moving a lot of that oil. So I would email him and text him and ask him questions. And he always has like really insightful answers about what the industry view is on this particular issue. Um, and then it's pretty much a scramble to make all of that into like a coherent newsletter. It's the last few hours are like a huge push of just writing and editing um, that goes into the newsletter. So I'm pretty much working on deadline like every morning, which I'm comfortable that that's like how I came up was doing deadline reporting. But, uh, that the, the research part really is the, the biggest chunk of time. Um, and my, the, the writing part is like what I'm really good at doing really fast. That's kind of like my, my 99. So, I know I got four hours left on the clock and we have like 500 words of a 4,000 word newsletter. Like I need to start hauling ass and getting this thing out. Um, so that that's typically how like the last few hours of my morning are spent before the newsletter goes out. Yeah. Two, two questions. First, how much coffee do you drink? And second, how do you <laughs> handle the stress of being under a daily deadline like that? <laughs> yeah, uh, I drink a lot of coffee. When I met my current wife, I did not drink any coffee. She introduced me to coffee when we were dating. Absolutely changed my life. Now I'm like a four cup a day guy. So um, I need it. It definitely helps me at like two or three o'clock. I go get my last coffee of the day before I crash. Uh, stress wise, I have not always been good at handling it to be totally frank. Um, I, you know, I've actually written about this in the newsletter. It took me a really long time, probably like two years of doing this to realize that I was like not managing it well. Um, both like wasn't giving myself enough sleep, wasn't taking enough space away from screen time, whatever. Um, I had like, heart palpitations and like eye twitches. And I mean, I was like, it, you know, I was totally overrun with information. And when I first started the newsletter, I was working another full-time job. So, you know, I was doing like 15 or 16 hour days, um, of just work on the computer, like hard work. And, uh, now I have a few like best practices that I go into the day with. So in the mornings, I try and make sure like the first thing I read is not on a screen. So when I wake up in the morning, I'll like pull a book off the shelf and just like read a couple pages to just be nice to my eyes. So I'm not like, you know, I try and void my screens early on in the day. Uh, and then at the end of the day at like six o'clock, I have a super hard stop where it's like, it doesn't matter where I am at 6 PM. I'm going to close my computer and shut it down for the day because that's 12 hours for me. I'll, I'll start working at six and I'm like, when I hit the 12 hour mark, it's like, if I can get it done in 12 hours, like it's, it's it, you know, I just like, and I, every now and then we'll break that rule, but I try and be really good about not doing that. Um, and then a lot of, a lot of exercise and trying to make sure I get my seven or eight hours of sleep every night, which I'm, um, I'm really strict about, I I'm, I'm in bed reading at, you know, nine 30 and hoping to be asleep by 10 and waking up at five 30 or whatever the next day. So, um, it's taken me a while to, to sort of get that discipline, but now that I have it, I definitely feel the positive impacts of it. Like a lot of that health stuff I've was talking about, um, I've gotten past and certainly I still feel like I'm in kind of high stress work, but I, I, I manage it way better than I used to now for sure. That's good. Yeah. I, um, I mentioned to you before we hit, we started recording that I used to be in the Marines and when I got out, I, um, I wore as like a badge of honor, the, uh, the lack of sleep that I would be getting, it's like, <laughs> you know, Oh, two hours of sleep. Like, yeah, that means I'm really doing like well in life. And 
um, just along the, the, the thread of getting a good night's sleep. Now I cherish my sleep. I mean, I, um, I, I look for any opportunity to go to bed early, uh, if anything more, just because I'm a, I'm a runner and I, I like to get up early to go run, but yeah, it's, um, it can be hard sometimes, especially when you find something that's so motivating it, for you, I would imagine, you know, you just, like you said, your laptop is your key, your gateway to the world, to your work. And so, uh, how hard is it to actually, you know, in the evening, close your laptop when it comes, when that six o'clock deadline hits, is it, is it easier more often than not, or is it something where you find yourself fighting to do? It's definitely hard. I mean, there's always a, a list of stuff that I could, you know, like put in another hour and know that I'm going to be ahead and the next day will be easier. Um, it's especially hard when like a former president gets indicted and the news breaks at 6 30 PM. And I'm like, God damn it. Like I have to deal with this. Um, you know, that literally last night I was closing my computer. Um, the New York times story broke at like, you know, five 45, I was logging off to make a six o'clock dinner with my wife. And I went downstairs and like, I, you know, I'm like, holy shit, they just indicted Trump. And she's just like, put your phone away. And I'm just like, uh, but they just indicted Trump. Like, I need to read about this for the next 10 hours, you know? Like, um, so it's it's hard, man. It's It, it can be really hard, but um, I'm always better for it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I've learned that, first of all, the news is always going to be there in the morning, you know? Um, and I, I'm not a breaking news outlet. So even though I end up working out on working on deadline every day, it's like the newsletter goes out at noon Eastern every day. So, um, I don't have anything to do until that needs to go out at 12. And also the most mistakes are always made in that first hour when a big story like that breaks. And I benefit a lot from being sort of on the slow news. Like I don't have to say anything for the first hour. And I let everybody else come out with their smoking hot takes and make themselves look silly. And then I kind of come in a little bit later, you know, 12, 24 hours later. And then I can sort of offer a perspective after seeing like the whole, I guess, holistic look at what the actual takes and the responses and the, the news is. And uh, yeah, I think that benefits my work. It certainly benefits my writing. And it's a good excuse to just like not throw myself into it right away. Yeah, the um, I, w- I was gonna I was gonna bring up just that taking that tactical pause before writing, uh, you know, a hot tweet or uh, filling in that newsletter probably serves a little bit of a benefit um, because yeah, there's so much, especially when it's a sens- sensationalized story. Um, I mean, less so maybe about the Trump indictment, but when you know, unfortunately, a good example is usually like a school shooting or any type of shooting, and there's random bits of information coming out about the shooter it's like you know at least i personally if i'm even going to read anything about it because unfortunately we've gotten to that point where those things are so common now that it's just it's that i'll you know i'll just let that explain itself but usually if i'm going to read something about it i won't read anything for at least three or four days until the waves start to settle because i know that there's just so much that's being reported on that you know, majority of it probably is going to turn out to be untrue. Um, where do you get your work ethic from? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think, I mean, f- first of all, um, I am like a, I'm a, was for a very long time, a super competitive athlete, uh, played ultimate Frisbee growing up and lacrosse. Um, and ultimate was always my sport. I know for people who are unfamiliar, it, it might just sound like a bunch of hippies in the park with the dog, but, uh, you know, I, I played really competitively in high school, college, and um, semi-professionally as an adult, college national championship, state champion in high school. It was basically my life, and uh, it's a really difficult sport, big endurance sport, lots of running, lots of training, and I think, like, that definitely had a huge impact on me from a, from a discipline perspective. Um, I also just think like a lot of the really important people in my life who I care a lot about have shown me that, you know, having a really clear purpose and like a, a goal every day is a really fulfilling way to live. And, 
you know, I've had jobs that I didn't work super hard at because I didn't care that much about the work. Um, you know, I was fortunate that as a journalist and a writer, I did, when I got out of school, I got some jobs that I really liked and I got to work in some places where I was really interested in the things we were doing. But, you know, like I mentioned, the the company I was at before Tangle, um, the last year or so I was there, we were doing all this video stuff and I was, there were days I was kind of dogging it. And a lot of times I was dogging it to try and tinker with my own ideas, my own projects and like building this off ramp for myself. But, um, I definitely wasn't giving, you know, my full hundred percent at the end. So I know what it's like to not do that. And, uh, it sucks. Like it's not a, to me, for me personally, like I don't get anything out of that. It's not a good feeling for me. I really love the end of the day, like the feeling of being spent. And like, I did a bunch and I was really productive. Um, and it's not just when I'm, you know, writing Tangle or working on a project like that. It's, you know, there are days where I go out back and work in the garden or something. And I spend a whole day trying to build a garden bed and fill it up with soil. And I'm going to the store and getting seeds and doing stuff like that. And it's like that, like doing that and feeling like I finished something at the end of the day allows me to kind of relax, I think. Um, so I like that part of it. Like I, I like how that feels and, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to do with my time. We're here. We've got one of these, so we might as well uh, make the most of it, I guess. Do you ever use a checklist in your day-to-day? Yeah. So, uh, I actually use this app called Sunsama. I don't even know how to say it. Yeah, I think it's Sunsama. Um, and it's the only it's the only work organization tool app that's ever worked for me. I don't know why I've tried a few different like monday.com and a couple places like that. Um, this one's just really simple. It's like a, it's a task manager, you know, and I, I go in and I drop my little tasks and whenever I have it, and I have the app on my phone. So if I'm not on my computer and I think, Oh, I have to do that. I can add it to my list really quick. And then there's just this really satisfying, like green check mark that you press it and it kind of fills up and, moves the thing down when you're done and it like there's this visual element of it that I'm like okay that that task is complete I can move on to the next thing so uh I wasn't always that organized I struggled for a while to find something like that that worked well for me but I've had that probably for the last year or two and uh yeah the checklist is great I love the feeling of of crossing some stuff off the list for sure yeah that's my um that's my go-to sometimes even just a written checklist and being able to cross something out. I mean, as we're talking right now, the satisfaction of like crossing off some of these questions, yeah, there's something to it. Okay. So uh, how do you keep yourself anchored in the middle in a lot of your reporting? And, uh, do you ever have like the equivalent of a palate cleanser, you know, like a sorbet in between reading news articles to kind of keep yourself yeah, centered in the middle? Yeah. Good question. I, so interestingly i'll say like first of all i don't consider myself to be anchored in the middle and i'm actually not on a personal level trying to be you know centrist or or nonpartisan in fact like i like to be open about how i feel on certain issues my big thing is i just don't really as funny as it is because we do this left and right take i don't really buy like the left right dichotomy. I mean, I'm like, people ask me all the time. It's the most common question I get. Like, what are your, so what are your view? What do you actually think? Who do you vote for? What are your, I'm like, what are we talking about? You know, like give me the issue and I'll tell you, I'll be happy to tell you what I think about any given issue, but you know, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm like left of center. or Oh, I'm right of center because then you're going to make all these assumptions about how I feel when that's not really how I feel. So, you know, I guess like the North star for me is just that both sides have really good and really bad ideas about different things. All of their positions are a lot more nuanced than I think the country gives them credit for. And my promise to my readers is I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be fair. And when we're explaining the issue at the top, like I will be as neutral and balanced in that section as I can. And so a lot of the times I take my cues from those news outlets that I'm reading. Like, you know, a good example is when I talk about COVID deaths in the newsletter, 
one of the things that we do is we say, you know, over a million people in the United States have died from or with COVID. And readers notice like those language shifts, like that, that is a really significant distinction to me. Like we don't actually know that over a million people have died from COVID. We know that a million people have been in the hospital and tested positive for COVID and died, but a lot of them probably died of something that wasn't COVID. And, you know, I don't know what that number is. I think we're going to figure that out at some point, but I think most hospitals and health agencies are still figuring that number out. And little language changes like that, you know, if I write undocumented immigrant in the newsletter, all my conservative readers are like, oh, he's a lib. That's like the key to them. And if I say, you know, we have illegal aliens in the newsletter, all the liberal readers like, oh my God, he's like a closet Trumper. So we say unauthorized migrant, sort of like somewhere in the middle, you know, it's just like, and, and those kinds of language choices, I think build trust. It takes away like some of the stuff people can complain and fight about. And it, it's a good answer to just like sort of carving that, that middle path. Um, it's not easy in terms of like the palate cleanser. I, I actually do do that. Uh, like I'm a huge sports junkie. So, you know, I'll like between shifting gears, I'll just spend five minutes on ESPN.com or something. And unfortunately politics is infecting everything these days. So it's not necessarily like I'm going to escape sports by doing that, but I do try and just like get up, go downstairs, shake it out, you know, have a cup of coffee, fill my water glass up, whatever, stretch out for a minute, take a breath, come back. You know, my, I, I work in 20 minute increments. So, um, I have a timer on my computer that goes off every 20 minutes, remind me to stand up for two minutes or walk around or whatever. And that's usually like a good baked in uh, break for me. Yeah. I, uh, also recommend getting a dog if you don't have one, uh, especially <laughs> a uh, German short-haired pointer, um, which is what I have. And uh, she's really good at interrupting me in the most important parts of my day <laughs> to, uh, to to get up and go play uh, if I haven't gotten her her exercise. So that's my, my little tidbit in case any of uh, the other tricks that you have up your sleeve don't necessarily work out. You know, you kind of uh, briefly touched on this before, but one thing I would love to know is... Um, how have you had any of your beliefs changed or have you had any of your beliefs changed in your reporting? And I think one thing that you do pretty well and you've already explained is that you're a human, you're going to have uh, implicit bias. Your, you know, your first impression is going to have a bias to it, but is, is there any story or anything that comes to mind where you know that you unintentionally intentionally went into researching it with that little part of your brain saying oh i bet you you know just like thinking you were going down one way but by the time you were done reporting on it you're like wow that actually didn't turn out the way that i thought it was going to yeah actually it's funny you asked that question because that's one of my favorite questions to ask other people and my readers is i'll often say like when was the last time you changed your mind about a political issue and most people usually can't think of an instance where they've done that. And I say, like, do, do you see the problem with that? Like, do you think that you're right about everything? Because if you are, you know, have enough humility to say you're probably not right about anything, then the only reason you wouldn't have ever changed your mind about something is because you're not getting your views challenged at all. So I love that question. It happens to me all the time. And interestingly enough, it's happening to me more and more the more that I do tangle, like, I think I'm getting better at being open-minded and like letting go of my priors going into stuff because I'm flexing that muscle so much doing the work of the newsletter. I think it's sort of increasing in frequency where like I'm more open-minded now than I've ever really been on, on issues like that, um, on, on political issues specifically. So I, two things tend to happen. One is either like, my view gets more partisan uh, because I read all the arguments and I'm like, oh, wait, that like the actual size other argument is like even worse than I thought it was or whatever. You know, um, I actually just wrote a piece recently about what I call my most extreme political view, which is that um, I have pretty staunch anti-prison views. Uh, you know, I think today that's very much associated with like the progressive left. I think, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, it was much more of like a kind of libertarian, small government type view to have. I don't really care where it puts me, but like, I fundamentally think that 
prisons are inhumane. I think like locking people in cages is a, doesn't work, doesn't rehabilitate them, doesn't help them. It's probably increasing crime based on the data that we have. Uh, so I wrote a huge piece, just like, here's my most extreme political view, you know, whatever. And I got there by being kind of moderately, quote unquote, left on that issue or like moderately, like we need prison reform and then reading more and more about the arguments against it and realizing they were like totally unconvincing to me. Um, I think like I, one issue that I have really changed my mind on recently, uh, maybe not so much changed my mind on is had a, a, a change of perspective about how important it was is like, I've become a pretty staunch free speech kind of absolutist, um, and feel myself way more aligned, I guess now with like what the modern conservative position tends to be, at least what they say their position is. I don't think they always practice it as well as they should, but, um, you know, I, I used to five years ago, I thought that concerns about free speech and speech on campus and stuff, I thought they were kind of overblown. Uh, and I don't feel that way anymore. I think that like, we actually do have like a, a cultural free speech deficit. A lot of people like to say, Oh, well, it's the government's not infringing on your speech. And so it's not a free speech violation. And it's like, yeah, that's technically true. But historically, uh, you know, the, the thing that precedes the government in infringing on people's free speech rights is that there's like an erosion of, a a cultural value of free speech. And I think we're in that erosion right now. I think people view it as a less and less important right and something that's less and less important to preserve. And that really scares me. And I feel very aligned with like a lot of the rhetoric and the views from, you know, the kind of like bombastic Republicans that are out there on this issue who are sort of screaming from the rooftops that it's a big deal. So um, yeah, those are like two that come to mind, but it happens all the time in the newsletter. Uh, that I will go in thinking I feel one way about it. And then I'll read one or two pieces that just like really hit me in the gut. And I'm like, oh, this is actually like, this is the best argument, I think. And I sort of have to amend or change my position to kind of address that. Yeah, one example, personally, that comes to mind was just the most recent, I think it was uh, Governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, signed the ch uh, a child labor law that removed a uh, – <laughs> definitely correct me where I'm wrong on this, but she signed <laughs> something into law that removed a step in the process of an underage minor getting approved for work in the state of Arkansas. And the example is not that I, I went into it with this, oh, like, Sarah Huckabee Sanders used to be Trump's, um, you know, press, uh, she, you know, she used to be involved in the Trump administration. So this has clearly got to be wrong. This clearly has to be like 1930s, 1920s, um, you know, meatpacking industry kind of child labor <laughs> law violation. But by the end of listening to your episode it, and hearing your take on it, it was just like, no, this is just removing one out of many, many bureaucratic steps for a you know 16 year old to go get a job washing dishes at a restaurant down you know wherever they live and and i really appreciated that because again like again that didn't go into it with this hardcore mentality of that it was automatically wrong but i recognized where my bias was when i had first heard about the story elsewhere and i think yeah you just do a really good job and i think that your my take portion really is important because um, yeah, we all like to think that we're independent thinkers, but sometimes, you know, you're, you're a pro, you know, I'm not, you know, like I'm, I'm a DIY guy. There are some things that I try to do on my own, but there are some things where it's like, nope, I need a pro for this. Like I, <laughs> if, if I'm going to, you know, be replacing brakes in my car, like if I'm not a hundred percent confident, I should probably take it to a pro before I do it myself and take it on the highway. <laughs> Yeah, no, 100%. That's cool to hear about that specific article. I also, you know, I was skeptical of some of the headlines that I was seeing about the article, but the news, it was like way over cover covered and the saturation of the coverage was all in the left-leaning media about that law. So all the initial headlines I saw were all about like, oh, like Republicans are making it easier to like send kids back to the coal mines or whatever. It was all like the child labor stuff. So when I actually read the bill, I had like a similar reaction of 
being like, oh, this is like not really a big deal at all. And also it's probably good if kids more like teenagers are working, like teenagers are such punks right now. Um, so like, you know, that I sort of had that kind of like curmudgy old man reaction to it. Um, but that's, that's cool to hear that you sort of went through that process. I mean, I think really interestingly, I've gotten to hear from a lot of readers who do have that experience reading the newsletter, which is super rewarding for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I know uh, we're, we're on a tight schedule and I have one more question, but I don't want to leave this without saying it. Um, not only is your, what the work that you're doing helpful for a person like me who likes to think they're independent and wants to, you know, just read the news for what it is and not hear too much of a slant to it. But I personally, my dad and I, we love each other, but we're on pretty opposite sides of the spectrum, political spectrum. And it's really hard to engage in political topics with him. Um, but that is something that he finds in, he he is interested in. And I've actually, over the last month or so, been able to engage with him more in a much more civil way because of your work. And it's, you know, there's been there's been a little bit of uh it's a, a a little bit of like psychology tricks in there where I the one of your first stories that I introduced to him definitely fell in his camp of support, but then I was able to follow up with something that fell in my camp. So it was like, basically I hooked him in to say that (laughs) what the work that you do is, you know, fair and balanced. I hate to, I don't mean to use the Fox news tagline, but the work that you do is fair reporting. And then like him with like a a curveball and then like, but then he also supports this other thing about gun reform or something. And so I just want to make sure that that's, you know, the, that you under, at least from one person out there, the work that you're doing is uh hits on a much more personal level um and i want to say thank you to that but coming to a close um what is the goal of tangle you know it started out as a newsletter and it started out as your own personal project and now you know it's developed into a team of people that do this but what yeah what is the goal if i if i gave you a call 10 years from now what would you like to have seen tangle involve evolve into Yeah. I mean, look, uh, first of all, thank you for the comments about your dad and your experience. I, one of the most unexpected things that has happened to me is that I've heard a version of that story from many readers and listeners who have said that they felt like Tangle was building some kind of bridge between them and like a family member or spouse or whatever, where they were both reading the newsletter and they could talk about and have a good jumping off point, which has been hugely rewarding for me. And I like, that's such a cool story to hear that you've been able to do that. I think your strategy on hooking him was very smart. Um, I hope that, you know, in 10 years, we are a small, well-paid team with a massive audience. I mean, I think that to me is like the really, that's the really big goal that I have. Um, I don't, I don't want to be the next like CNN or Wall Street Journal or whatever. I'm not trying to turn into like a massive 2000 person media organization. Um, I want their audience though. Like I, I want to take the ears and the listeners uh, and the, and the viewers that they have. And, you know, my dream world would be across these platforms, you know, the newsletter, the website, the podcast, we're launching a YouTube channel in April that, you know, we can get millions of people consuming our content in any given day. And that, that reach sort of turns the temperature down a little bit and also creates a more informed populace. I mean, what would be really cool for me is like to have a big audience that's waiting to see how we cover a story in order to feel like they really understand what's happening out there and and having so many Americans who are doing that and people across the globe. I mean, we have readers in over 50 countries outside the U S which is really cool. So, um, you know, my, yeah, my, my dream is really just to scale the audience from, you know, the 60,000 newsletter subscribers we have to, to many millions. That would be the, the dream for me. Uh, because I just think like, you know, I think it's good for people. I think the, the content is genuinely good for people's brains. I think it makes them more empathetic about people they disagree with. It allows them to be more informed about an issue. It it sets up a scenario where they better understand folks that they've been like programmed to hate. And I think that we are in a time where that's really needed right now. So 
um, yeah, I would say that that's my goal. Build this team out a little bit more, get a little bit bigger, but I want to be a, a lean machine and uh, just really scale the audience. That's going to be a big focus for us. Awesome. Well, Isaac, it has been, this has been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had in a while. And uh, who would have thought it would have been about politics, but I've really, <laughs> I've really, I really have enjoyed it. Um, for every, anyone out there, how would you encourage people to, to engage with you and your work? Yeah, please. The best thing to do is just to go to readtangle.com, R-E-A-D-T-A-N-G-L-E.com. And right when you go to readtangle.com, you'll get hit with a little overlay to drop your email in there and you can subscribe for free. We offer 80% of our content for free in the newsletter. The Monday through Thursday newsletter is totally free. And then we have Friday editions that are paywalled. So you know, sign up for free, see if you like it or sign up for free and subscribe just to support it because you like the mission. And uh, once you're in on the newsletter, everything kind of flows out from there. That's still our core product. So you'll get links to the podcast and get information about the YouTube channel coming up and you'll fall into the website organically. Um, But please, yes, readtangle.com, check it out, subscribe and spread the word if you enjoy it. Well, Isaac, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure and I hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate the time, man. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest, Isaac Saul, the voice and curator of Tangle News. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Tangle's website, where you can also sign up for the newsletter. And be sure to subscribe to his daily podcast wherever you're listening to this one. And if you have a minute, and you enjoyed this episode and my podcast overall so far, please consider leaving a review and sharing it with a friend. It really helps other people discover the show. And like always, you can get in touch with me either on Instagram, where I'm at Adam Casey, or by writing an email to adam at itmatterstomepodcast.com. Can't wait to talk again soon. This is Adam Casey, signing off.